It's time for the preview of the... Uh, best division in football. Best division in football, according to... According to the schedulers on NBC's Sunday Night Football. According to the ratings. for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week it's the NFC East and in preparation we've had a couple. So hey, Connor here, also Fitz. Hello. And Sean as well. Hello. As you may hear from the weird echoiness, we are in the Upside Down. We are all in Cork at the same time. So guys, how's Cork? Well, we should ask you. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's cultural capital with our outside dining. Down here we have something something that everyone agrees on which is how great Cork is yeah they all seem to be like, for, for the rebel county you have an awful lot of gra for the English it's uh no it's fun Cork has been very nice I must say it's uh we also got okay weather for the majority it was pretty fun it's also just good to get down and see you boys it's been yeah, yeah real life it's been quite some time yeah. yeah and closer yeah. to normality Little touch or ever increasing. So you had your vaccine. I'm waiting on mine. Did you get your own yet? Or yeah, what? I got mine. Bit of uh, help the, from a former employee and yeah. who's now working. Were, were you a one shot or are you uh, waiting two, on the two second? Shots. Have you gotten the second one yet? Or? No, I've got the first shot. I'm oh, for a Wait, why can't I taste anything? <laughs> uh, Ironically, uh, the Delta variant actually has a different set of symptoms. Ah, uh. oh, God damn it. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But no, it's good to be down to you boys. We're going to fly into the... NFC East we'll just do it very quickly because you know this is a news story we've talked about this so many times I don't think it actually needs that much talking about it turns out that the Washington football team are terrible and horrible people and they have had a 10 million 10 million fine imposed on them by the NFL because they are just terrible people and some of the allegations coming out of them have been investigated and been found to be true I personally am shocked by this and I'm outraged that they were doing it. And isn't it just terrible? And this is almost like every fucking week for the last two years we've been talking about just how bad this organisation is. I don't think 10 million will do anything. I think it's a drop in the bucket. And I think that's the main criticism that's coming towards them. But like none of us are surprised with this, right? Yeah, no, like all the revelations that came out in the Washington Post about, you know, that they were taking... Uh, of leaders to South yeah. America. During the photo shoots, the uh, ones that exposed uh, certain uh, material were specifically requested by certain high-level people within the organization. Snyder, technically, for a lot of it, for a lot of that stuff was a layer beyond it, but the reports are that he was requesting it. And he was also obviously involved in a lot of mistreatment, particularly of women within the organization. So, look, the the NFL basically took over a pre-existing investigation that was happening by the team. They basically said, like, we don't really trust you to investigate yourself. And you know, they I can self certify that we are above board. <laughs> we, the Washington races, are definitely not bad. And based on that, they, they gave him a you know, a, not a trivial fine, 10 but million. it is, it's yeah. a slap on the wrist. Like, to be fair, he, he, he was spending hundreds of millions recently to buy out the minority shareholders in his, in, in his team. I must, I must say, also, by the way, just given the history of them, every time I read those articles, it was like he's just buying any black or Latino people out of his business, is what <laughs> I was thinking. I was like, that tracks, that tracks. <laughs> Yeah, so like the NFL, this this kind of happened before the it is officially came out, but coincidentally, Tanya Snyder, his wife, was made co CEO, and now she has been assigned day to day control uh, over the team, uh, technically indefinitely, but I don't know how long that will last. To be honest, but I think the big thing here is that you know the report itself, they haven't published it, they you know, and they they kind of let us know about this during probably the deadest part of the off season. 
Um, this is this so, is meant to be not talked about you. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, I think to some extent, given what Snyder's done on the corporate side, they might feel that he's not going anywhere. They're not going to be able to get rid of him. So you just need to keep this under wraps and deal with what he deal with the fact he's going to be there and minimize the trouble that causes for you as an organization. Sean, historically, you've always been a defender of Dan Snyder. <laughs> oh no, we don't have a counterpoint to this. They're just I just want to state like... the record that I am opposed to Dan Snyder and all his policies. I mean, it is important to note that the NFL has taken some action, even yeah. if it's minor slap on the wrist. I mean, the NFL usual approach to bad things such as this in the past was to live and let live, you know, that the owners could pretty much do what they want. This is a sign, if it's nothing else, a sign that the, the more kind of overall social culture has moved so far against yeah you know the the, the Washington football team's antics uh, in terms of say it's racism or it's kind of policy towards cheerleaders and, and sexual issues I mean there's enough things that have happened to have pushed the NFL to actually have to do even a token punishment is mm. a sign of a change I think that we should acknowledge and, and be thankful for and maybe it's the first step towards yeah in 10, 15 years' time, the NFL actually properly keeping an eye on its own. If, if, I, if I remember some of this art correctly, there was a period about a year ago when they were looking into a lot of this, they were actually trying to, and obviously unsuccessfully, they were tr- or they were trying to pressure him to sell the team. Yeah. And obviously, look, they don't, they can't, they can't actually exert that amount of control over it. And like you say, it is actually important they are taking a stance and doing that, even if it's only kind of 10, like 10 million to us is everything, but like 10 million is, you know, to him, pennies but yes you're right that like there is a thing of they try to do bigger things and they hit the wall on trying to do bigger things this is probably like you say a big positive they still went well we want to do something and we want to show that we're on the opposition to this even if they don't have the control to do what they would like to do but yeah big surprise Washington football team pieces of shit yeah <laughs> good god NFL yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I that, five, that, yeah. five years on from just a Denying that there are any kinds of problems whatsoever with the NFL and, and no, it's true. It, it is true. Social You're right. culture. You're right. There is there is there is, there is movement. It, it, it is a step <laughs> forward. It's a very small step, but at least it's a step in the right direction. But it's it's similar to what we discussed last uh, podcast about the Michael Sam, the difference between Michael Sam yeah, yeah. and the current player coming out, and like how that was engaged with and how it was embraced was very differently. There is positive movements. It's nice to see. We don't want to just rag them, but yes, they could do more. But they're, they're doing something at least I suppose yeah so we've, we've tied a few on because we're going to have a lot of fun with this one it's time for the preview of the uh, best division in football best division in football according to according to the schedulers on NBC's Sunday Night Football according to the ratings okay we're going to kick it off with the big boys the going to be on Hard Knocks Excitement Times Cowboys Additions they've had, uh, they've brought in linebacker Mike Parsons, Keanu Neal, uh, Trishem Bassam and Jabril Cox, Carl Watkins, Brett Urban, Osio Zamonia and Chauncey Ghoston. And then at the defensive back position, they brought in Kevin Joseph and uh, Devontae Kazay. They lost quite a lot of like names that you will remember, but actually some of them have not been as yeah <laughs> as uh, as performing as their recognition to you would suggest. So Sean Lee, Tyrone Crawford, Antoine Woods, and Alan Smith are all gone. Chipotle Adewuze, uh, Xavier Woods, and CJ Goodwin are all gone from the backfield on the defense, and then on the offensive side of the ball, Cam Irving, Blake Bell, Joe Looney, and Jimmy Zayowale are all gone. The big issue this team hit last year was that Dak Prescott was and look to be honest, I don't I don't give much weight to this like if we just projected it out 
<laughs> apparently in theory Dak Prescott was in line for like 7,000 yards 85 touchdowns and a perfect pass rate and everything that was a little bit kind of you know smoke but it was a thing of this team kind of didn't know how to compete without him so Dak is coming back we obviously hearing the offseason news of like as you hear about literally every player that he, he looks better than ever he's smarter quicker the game is really slowing down for him I think also richer but also <laughs> so they finally gave him a bit of fucking money as well because they have Dak coming back is a large impact on how you think the season's going to go particularly because they've also got Zeke Elliott coming back from uh, underperforming year yeah, I would say which, but some of that has to be the fact that if the quarterback's not there they're going to end in and more. he also had COVID before the season and we know that certain players when they were dealing with COVID did have a, a reduction in the in, in their production especially yeah. for running back which is a position required on, on physical tools you know 100% yeah so we got so we obviously this is He's his second year as head coach for McCarthy. Yeah. And obviously, look, they've got Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And I think we all discussed it beforehand that, like, we all expect that the long-term plan for the Cowboys is actually to hopefully push him into the head coach position. We have a new defensive coordinator coming in, Dan Quinn, who has, let's say, a mixed bag resume, I think is the nicest way of putting that. But he's also got, like, just a random mixture of people. Because like we said, there's an awful lot of new players coming in, but also a lot of players gone. And as we discussed in the earlier part, maybe some of them were names that weren't performing, so maybe this could be a rejuvenation on it. I know for me, when I look at this, this season for them keys on whether or not when Dak comes back, he doesn't have to be that kind of like, you know, 500 yards a game Dak Prescott that we were getting in the first three or four games of last year. But he is what they need for the offense to actually start going. And I I, I think maybe I, I was very critical of, uh, of McCarthy's coordinating last year because of the fact that I didn't think that he adjusted correctly to not having him there. This is the first time seeing him with all the weapons in place. Do we think that Dak Prescott returning is going to make this a very competitive team? Or do we think this is going to be what I think we actually had a very long discussion uh, off, off, off air about? That we're starting to get a bit of like the Tony Romo years era of like putting up numbers and not putting up results which one of the two do you think we're going to get, Roman? Like, I think the Cowboys will be a very flawed team. Like, you know, the Romo years, like they had Jason Garrett and Jason Garrett was the definition of mediocrity. Whereas McCarthy, I think, is worse than that. He obviously, when he started off and he had his ideas with the offense and they were relatively revolutionary at the time, though, of course, having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback helps with that. It does help. But, you know, <laughs> the reports and the stories that came out about him as a leader in the locker room were not great by the time he left in Green Bay and that Aaron Rodgers hated his guts more or less or thought he was an idiot. So the question for me then is like, you know, if you have Dan Quinn coming in to run the defense and uh, you have Kellen Moore, basically he he more or less runs the offense. They basically, to keep him from going to college, uh, I think being a head coach last year, they kind of had to give him a bunch of money. So that means like this offense is really his offense. Then what exactly is Mike McCarthy, you know, contributing to this team? He doesn't seem to have, you know, it doesn't seem to have created some kind of great culture with the team. The team kind of frayed as the season went on, um, especially once Dak went away. And the whole thing kind of just turned into a bit of a mess. And given how weak the NFC East was and given how many offensive weapons they have, there wasn't really an excuse for, for how bad they were. If Dak comes back and is healthy, I think the offense will be fine. Like the offense has way too much firepower to not uh, kick ass. Basically, you know, Ceedee Lamb came in as a rookie last year and absolutely killed oh, it. Oh god, yeah, they, they have a lovely, lovely wide receiving core. Yeah, they got Amari Cooper as their wide receiver one. They got Michael Gallup as their wide receiver three. 
you know, tight end isn't the best. That's and look, Zeke Elliott, if he comes back in form, he's going to be, we know he can be a really effective weapon. And Tony Pollard, even his backup, is fine. And the offensive line, while I don't think it's quite at the level that it was back when they were, like, the best offensive line in the league, TM, um, it's still a pretty good offensive line. And so the big question for this team, and particularly for Dan Quinn, is if you take the kind of ragtag group of people on this defense, are they going to create something that is not the complete disaster zone it was last year? Because the reason Dak Prescott was putting up all those yards last year, early on, was because the defense was so shit. Given the additions that they've had, there is a question of, aren't they in a spot where they have two central linebackers that they're expecting that they're going to try and ship one of them? And one of them might be, because what I would always thought of a very good Van Der Esch, that like he might be the odd man out in this backfield. That this is a like you say a hodgepodge, but it's a hodgepodge that they haven't actually built a scheme correctly around. Well, I think the problem is like both Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith are both big names who've had really good seasons with them, but due to injuries, perhaps in Leighton Van Der Esch's case in particular, they just haven't been that same player. And of course, with their first round pick this year, they picked Micah Parsons, which indicates yeah that they they're going to get rid of all these guys. But I think. Both of them are getting uh, paid already. Yeah, they are all getting um, pretty well paid. So I, th- I think Van Der Esch is the one that's the slightly more yeah. movable contract, but that's about and, it. And, you know, like, was the linebacker core the problem last year? Like, it wasn't the best, it wasn't uh, wasn't the solution, but, like, at least you can see where the talent is there. You know, it was really the defensive backs that were a bit questionable, and I don't think they've really done anything to fix that. Like, you know, we always it was fine, and now they're bringing Kelvin Joseph, so it must be a situation where... You know, Dan Quinn has certain requirements for who he wants to bring in this defense. And it's now a question of whether, having given him some of what he wants, that he can actually do something with it. Yeah, so this is the thing, Sean. Like I said, we brought in these pieces. They have replaced an awful lot of people at the positions they were weak at the, in the previous season. But it is also, it's not that it's a, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge of big names they brought in. They brought in like a lot of these jobbers, a lot of these like people who are good, but maybe not great at it. And then it becomes a question of if you have the Dan Quinn defensive coordinator. So this is the thing, John, when you look at these players that have come in, and it is a thing that I do think that the offense will look quite different having Dak back. Do you think there's enough pieces put in this defense? And like, like I said, the first round pick has gone in there. They do have talent. Uh, but they massively underperformed last year. A lot of our conversations during the year was, but even if they do okay on passively on offense, what are you going to do with that defense? They've gotten rid of the highly paid names who were not performing, but they haven't replaced it with anything that is established. Do you think that Dan Quinn can put this into shape? First question is, do these new players, are they going to be an upgrade or something new? Or are they going to improve the defense just in terms of the quality of the personnel? And the second question is about Quinn himself uh, I'm skeptical on both counts I will mm. say that the the Cowboys I mean they have a very mixed record in terms of recruitment generally there are issues with regard to they often do kind of fall for big names but sometimes they do find occasional gems when they do focus on building units I just don't see it here I don't see who's going to be the standout stars I don't really see how it's going to come together uh, on the defensive end I, I mean I the question you have to ask yourself is how do these new players improve the awful team that, that was there last year on the defensive end and you just can't see? So then the question does turn to is, is there some sort of magic in Dan Quinn that is going to solve this? And again, I just like, I don't see it, right? I, I see a, I see the problem that Jerry Jones has 
fallen to a number of times where he sees this guy's a big name, this guy's been to a Super Bowl, this guy's someone I know. Yeah. He is Mike McCarthy, but he's on the defensive side. He's, yeah. he's, he's a name that I can attach to and, and I could be the genius and bring him I'd say it's just a perfect analogy. I hadn't even <laughs> thought about him just being the, the McCarthy of the defensive side. Yeah. So he's, he's bringing in someone who his record since... His, he has a history of maybe well, seven years ago now creating a, a new elite defense, mm. but... Uh, a type of defense that the game has moved beyond and his period in Atlanta was marked by, if anything, a poor defense that was being carried to success by the fact that they had a particularly high-powered offensive. So I don't see it. I see this being... I, either they're going to try some new shit and it's going to fail miserably and this team is going to cough up loads of points um, or they're, they're going to be horribly mediocre. In either case, they're going to need the offense to uh, inspire them. And that's who we're relying on, on a Dak Prescott's coming back from an injury. And there are questions. Mm, yeah. And I do think that's the emphasize. Yeah. We don't know how good he's going to be. We yeah. don't know how quickly anybody can recover from these kinds of injuries. So the entire team as, as a kind of conceptual thing just doesn't come together. It's, the thing, like, like it, it, it's a modern day phenomenon that people are coming back from those types of injuries and playing the following September. And that's great and all, but like you said, there's a thing of like there's playing and there's being back to what you were beforehand. And he was always that little element. Like he was, he, he wouldn't when you call a traditional dual threat quarterback, mm. but an awful lot of what worked with him and Zeke Elliott in the backfield was the he'll draw a man and then kind of shovel it backwards to, to, to like kind of like a hook around move, which you don't know if that stuff is going to exist. Yes, this is like Dan Quinn for like the last six years, we sit in and said, this is a defensive head coach who can't put together a defense. McCarthy is an offensive coach who had one of the greatest quarterbacks of a generation and was like was fighting himself to try and put together an offense. This is a, like you said, name, not fucking quality type connection. Like, like I said, I'm, I would say at the end point, I am, I am erring on the side of I'm expecting Dak to come back and maybe not 100%, but like to be good enough. Because this is the thing, like, we just need to, just to contextualize what we're going to be doing over the next three teams as well. The NFC East was the fight for 500. It was, if you could win eight games last year, you were seven. winning this. Yeah, but the same games as the Royals, but like the race to getting to 500 was you win a division and you're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think, as we'll go through this, I'm not sure there's a huge amount of change in some of them. I have Dak coming back, being able to actually lead them with the defense to underperform. I've got 10 and 7 for them. They win the division, but they're the bottom of the division winners. And I think they get knocked out in the divisional round. Yourself, Sean? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I have them winning the division at 10 and 7 because I think Dak does give them... I do expect them to be back at, at a level of which they can produce something. And I think that offense is powerful enough to get them through games. But the, mostly because they're going to be playing six, six of the 17 games they're going to be playing this year. are going to get to the mm. other teams in the NFC East. All of whom are, I don't think, have either disimproved or are unproven in terms of the new things that they're trying or are just a mess. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Cowboys are the best of those four teams, but I don't think that's saying much in terms of how good yeah, they actually are. And yeah. I think they lose in the playoffs first game. I have them going 8-9, missing the playoffs. I think they're an incredibly flawed team with a high variance for how they could end up. But I think if I was to put my number down, it's around 500 they're going to be no. this year. And Harry's uh, similar to yourself, he's one game less, I think he's 7 and 10, and then he reckons that it's not going to be quite so. And this thing, like, there is, like you said, there's so much in flux of the Cowboys. Like, I think all of these are quite valid uh, approaches to them. Next up, we have the Dilly Dilly, the Eagles. 
So they've added Devonta Smith, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Kerryon Johnson on the Steven side, Anthony Harris, Ryan Kerrigan, Zach McPherson and Eric Wilson. And then on the offensive line, they decided to try and change that a little bit with uh, Landon Dixon and Raven Clark coming in. On the loss side, we discussed this in the previous episode, Carson Mites is no longer there. They traded him down to the Colts, who we previously discussed. Uh, I, I don't think any of us disagree that maybe that isn't the worst thing to not have Carson Mites <laughs> there at the moment. Um, there was a lot of Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Jason Peters, uh, Corey Clement, and then on the defense side, Jalen Mills, Malik Jackson, Vinnie Curry, and Nicole Robbie Coleman. An awful lot of the outs on this side are spots where they were not actually good at beforehand so like the joke we have is that they had no one who was catching footballs and they've gotten rid of a couple of the wide receivers they had problems on the offensive line Corey Clement was a also ran and like things like little Roby Coleman was back in the day a decent kind of kind of slot type guy whereas now he's maybe not performing up to the same level what we've got is we've got a weird open door of like we said this is a terrible division and we have Jalen Hurts, one and three as a starter, coming in and they're saying, hand the reins to this man. This is where we're going to hang our hat. They're bringing, like, obviously, they, they, they drafted with this in mind. They brought in the wide receiver. They brought in another running back into the rotation, or two running backs into the rotations. But Kerry Johnson is an interesting one because I still harbor thoughts of him being great, of how he could have been three years ago and they just didn't do it. But I yeah, also, I also never, I, I never blame a player for being bad on the Lions. That's <laughs> the thing that I have. It, it's an interesting setup overall for them like this is very much a it's the same issue but an inverse of it that the uh, that the Cowboys have like this team is slightly going to live or die on the basis of the quarterback play the difference for the Cowboys is they're returning someone who was good whereas this one is they didn't have anything that was successful and they're trying something new and I am actually behind the concept of them trying something new and bringing in Hurts and letting them do the stuff but I'm not sure that they're actually have the personnel everything to surround him and actually get the success they want like he played okay in those games he did he did lose 75 percent of the games that he's been in well, sure in his defense the eagles did throw one of those games that is that is true they, they, they actually took him out of the game as well didn't yeah, they? yeah, yeah like yeah. that they was put in i can't even remember the guy's name but he was literally the worst quarterback you've ever seen nate sodfeld nate sodfeld that's a jesus yeah <laughs> and i sorry I, I legitimately just forgotten how bad that had <laughs> That, that happened so look we've got we've got that we've got we've got the look he's not a rookie but he's effectively let's talk about him in terms of his he's a rookie as a starter right Jalen Hurts is coming in their wide receiver core wasn't great they bring in Devonta Smith they're hoping to use that I like a little bit of what they're doing they're like look what we were doing wasn't working we're going to change it I don't know if this is going to actually work as a change like this feels to me like a team that has should have two years ago but hasn't they've basically won the Super Bowl went into the like the the, the malaise of, of winning the Super Bowl and then starting to lose people and they just tried to recapture what they got in that Super Bowl and have now just realised back end of last year do you know what this isn't working we don't have the personnel we don't have the coaches to do it we need to start this back up again like I would look at this as probably in my head a lost season for the Eagles but it being essentially a reforming season where they go let's see what we've got in Jalen Hurts is there anything here that we can build around but they're actually actually building for next year and trying to re-establish like the wide receiver being brought in some of the running backs that are coming in they're like these are the weapons that we'll have for the receiver that I reckon they're going to draft next year it feels like a team that is this is the year that we're essentially taking off and trying to get our house right and then we're going to reset for a run at something afterwards. I, I, I want to defend Jalen Hurts a little bit in the sense that 
the team was going absolutely nowhere very clearly last year with Carson Wentz under center. He was not in the right headspace. The team just wasn't functioning whatsoever as a unit. When Hertz came in, he brought a dynamism. He brought an excitement. He was something different and new. He had a, a kind of mobility about him, and he was able to spark the team in, in a way we hadn't seen before. And, and Eagles, I mean, I, I mean, I can't speak for Eagles fans, but I mean, I know they'd like to win games, but they'd also, if they're not going to win that many games, they want to be able to have enjoy the games that they're mm. watching. And I, I have to imagine Eagles fans enjoyed watching Jalen Hurts more than they watched Carson Wentz. But I think you're absolutely right, is that we don't know anything about this guy in terms of being having the pressure put on him as the quarterback and being all these things expected of him, consistently performing week in, week out, week out. I think the thing we didn't see even in the, in the kind of four-week window we got him was consistency. We got bursts of excitement and mm-hmm. good moments, but we also, and we got, we got flashes of, oh, this guy could be really good if they could build a team around him. But we also kind of saw someone who was, you know, a rookie quarterback, someone who was yeah. New, untested, had kind of uh, also, things to learn. Also, the lateness that he came in and started starting, it was, it, he, he would have gone into the year expecting to be a backup and then spent so long as being a backup that he wasn't even all... Like, when you get to like week 12 and then you start to be put into games, you're not even expecting that, yeah. you know? Like, it is as much as he was training with the team, he wasn't training, planning to be the I have to run 65 plays on Sunday. I mean, yeah, I think it was to a certain extent that they... Realized that they suddenly were still somehow in contention for the division and therefore for a playoff spot. And it, they just decided to take a gamble because it just wasn't working. Yeah. Underwent. But I agree with you. And I think it's a transition. I think, I think Eagles fans need to accept that this is the previous project has come to an end with the, that the head coach leaving and the, the quarterback leaving. And, and it's, it's very much okay. This, that Super Bowl winning team is now officially dead. It is a part of our history, mm. a great part. And we can look back at it. Kind of it's where there's still streets in Philadelphia that don't have, don't have traffic lights anymore. <laughs> it's purely on the basis but, of that. And but now this is something new. And whether this is something new, we can't expect this something new to to fire an old cylinder's week one. So this season will be about find, trying to find a new identity for this team. What works? How they can perform? Is Jalen Hurts the, the leader of that team? We don't know, but we'll find out. And then. Yeah. Come next off season, then the Eagles will need to start. You, you you raise a very interesting point, and Fitz will be interested in your take on this. So obviously, this is a team that, like like you say, it was the end of an era. We bury that Super Bowl team to the extent of they got rid of the head coach that won that Super Bowl, mm. and I believe the statue still outside the stadium. Yeah, the statue is still outside. The <laughs> and this is it's also a thing of like if I remember correctly from when we were talking about it. Now this would be this is months back at this point where we were discussing that but like there was a large element going into it of he didn't want to he didn't want to have Carson Wentz as his quarterback anymore and the organisation at the time hadn't moved on hadn't lined up the trade and that was part of it what we have here is like I say an awful lot of a team in transition but we have a new head coach taking over from a Super Bowl winning coach in a team that was you know there was such a fucking event that that happened what three years ago at this point it's it, it's a big step, but it's a step of like this is a new head coach in a spot who coming into a team like you say in transition, but then also into a team where he doesn't even know if the guy who's his starting quarterback is a quarterback next year. Like he clearly is backing on the rookie wide receiver and the and the running back they'd have to be there afterwards. But like this is a this is a new head coach stepping into an absolute funnel of change rather than the funnel of change because normally what you have is a funnel of change and then once it stops working they just bring in someone else and they let them choose a quarterback in that draft and let them run it. Do you think that Sirianni is going to be able to do much in this position or is this because 
to a certain extent, it feels like he's almost getting a free year of feeling out the team, what he likes, what he doesn't like with it, and then we'll get to decide some of the direction that they're going to go in. If that's what's happening, that would actually make me more positive about this team. I actually have an inkling that it's actually the opposite because when Doug Pedersen was fired, all the reports came out that uh, Howie Roseman, the GM, was making a power play and he was basically saying, no, you have to use Carson Wentz. He's our quarterback. We paid him a shit ton of money. And at the owner, or Jeffrey Lurie, he was also basically pushing that same narrative. So when ownership gets involved in the day-to-day running of the team, when the GM starts getting involved in the day-to-day running of the team and you're a head coach who'd won a Super Bowl, there was a lot of heads mashing against each other and so you know when they chose to fire him you kind of had two choices one would have been to go clean break let's get a kind of new perspective in but they didn't go for that they went for Nick Sirianni someone with relatively little experience but who came from Indianapolis under Frank Reich who obviously is from the Doug Pedersen coaching tree and part of the Andy Reid coaching tree in a wider Mm -hmm. sense so this is really to some extent like with the exception of Chip Kelly the next Andy Reid type coach but the impressions that we've got of Sirianni up to this point have not been particularly positive. There's been a lot of repeating mantras, a lot of kind of corp—I don't want to say corporate speak—but kind of you know, you know, we're winning, and here, like, here's our sayings and stuff like that. But not really in a way that would—it's a bit unfair to judge someone on their manner and stuff like that. But ultimately, football players will probably make that choice inside the locker room: that is this a guy who will lead us, or is this a guy who's really just a. I don't want to say stooge, but someone who is under the thumb of a GM and an owner who wants to control this team, who thinks that they can bring back the glory days of winning that Super Bowl a few years ago. It is interesting you mentioned that the that Andy Reid connection as well, because they obviously the predecessor was directly from Andy Reid's staff in Kansas City at the time, but they seem to, even though there was a break happening, they seem yep. to like some of that element of what they... Well, maybe, maybe there's a recapturing or recapturing in a new way that they're hoping to get. Well, with it's it. a bit like uh, you know with cloning. You know, the the the, the <laughs> commonly is that each each additional clone becomes more and more inferior. Oh, well, get, get, <laughs> get, get, get science over here. We normally used to use an like an allegory of photocopying. Yeah, and, like, and to be fair. Like Doug, Doug Pedersen won a Super Bowl, but I think I think on balance you would probably still consider Andy Reid to be a better head coach. I, I don't think that was ever in question. Well, <laughs> up, up, up until he won the Super Bowl himself. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I would always maintain, even though he hadn't won the Super Bowl, I would always, I would, I would one hundred percent in every case take Andy Reid over yeah. him. Yeah, and I suppose when, when I'm talking about why I, I think that like Sirianni is going to be on the hot. Like I don't know how much patience they're going to have for him. And that in the sense that, you know, at some point he's going to have to assert himself if this team is being run in a bad way by the people above him. And when I look at the changes that they've made this offseason, I kind of go like I can see a little bit of logic to it, but I don't really see a, a coherent plan that for, say, for example, this is a, you know, this is a walk off year. We're just rebuilding. You know, they bring in Devontae Smith. They got the drafted Jalen Rager last year. So they're putting weapons around Jalen Hurts, but they're very young weapons. It's not like. Uh, like a, vet, a set of veterans that you know that they're going to perform straight up and January was obviously a bit of a disappointment last year yeah, yeah. but in particular if you look at the defence like they're signing people like Anthony Harris Ryan Kerrigan these are guys you know on the back nine of their career respectively and they're asking them to come in and kind of I don't know fix this defence th- th- that, that's a little bit of what I have in my head of like it feels a little bit like that they are bringing them in to be that they are planning to be reforming and doing kind of a four year stretch after this and like yeah. they want to bring those guys in to try and provide some veteran leadership essentially to teach the young ones that they're going to have in there 
how to do it because they can't, they wouldn't be able to afford them once they start trying to actually take a run. Yeah, at but like I suppose the question is if you're building this really young offense and you know you have those wide receivers who are very young. Well, mm. Sanders is pretty young. Most of the offensive line at this point is pretty like Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks a bit older, but they've been adding players. Uh, they've been trying to draft new players to replace those veterans. Uh, but when you look at the defense, it's the exact inverse. Like you have Fletcher Cox, you kind of one more year yeah, on him. Yeah. You know, Ryan Kerrigan, you're signing Anthony Harris, and then McDarius like Slade, they obviously traded for really, like uh, last year, and he hasn't really lived up to expectations. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. kind of go, like, this felt like a team in need of a fresh start, in particular in terms of how the, the ownership thought about the future. And the, re- yeah, yeah, and the reality is that they, I don't think they fully bought into doing that. I think they still believe enough of this core exists that they can kind of get extract something it, from it, it. Is, and I just don't see something from, it's I don't see in Seriani somebody can do that I was going to say it's very important you make, point you make because that is like what we what was it? like if you think about like when we were discussing the Eagles Super Bowl team and even the year or two after that like the thing that they had was they had this kind of veteran deep rotation defensive line kind of thing you're right that like they haven't swapped that at all on it but like they, they spent a lot of money like paying people like Alshon and Jeffrey like they're getting rid of some of these guys like Alshon and Jeffrey or even Jason Peters who were getting probably a little bit overpaid like they still have a lot of money already down on people like Fletcher Cox and stuff like that so I don't know if they have that kind of flexibility where they can kind of completely rebuild from the ground up like even the dead money from Carson Wentz's contract for example is a big issue so yeah it feels like they should have done a more thorough teardown if what you're if saying, actually, if actually if what you're saying is true it, that yeah. Sirianni's getting a clean slate to kind of like you know sort this out in year one see what emerges and then next year maybe consider mm-hmm. having a challenge against the division again so, so I'll put my hands up and say I have the worst expectations for the Eagles this year I have them winning three games, three and fourteen. You have them a little bit better off than yeah, this. six and eleven. Obviously, not making the playoffs. And you've got them five and twelve. Five and twelve. Yeah, I think Harry's a little bit more positive. I think he has them winning eight games and sneaking into a wild card. Look, it could happen if if everything breaks right and actually Jalen Hurts is actually able to do stuff and maybe Sirianni's able to do some bits. This is a shit division. They could, I suppose. But that's the thing. Well, like, this this is the top. The top end is like eight or nine wins. This is like, the thing to keep in mind with all of these teams. Is this is a shit division. If you go on a run where you win three or four games in a row you'll probably win the division that's it that's it onwards to the New York City Giants like this this is a team that is 100% making this year the decision about whether or not Donny Dimes can be their man they've added in Kenny Galladay Kadarius Tony, the rookie Carl Rudolph and Devontae Booker into the already fairly decently stacked offense this is going to be this is a spot where I think that if you if you if you were to take I don't know, like take the red rifle and put him in here. I think he could find success with this kind of level of skilled players. Defensive side is Ori Jackson, Aaron Robinson, Ryan Anderson, Reggie Ragland all coming in. And then the defensive line, Adesiwane, Danny Shigelton, Daddy of Gato, and Alcern G. Smith, the rookie, I think. But yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of turnover on the roster, even though there is some skilled stuff there. They lost Kevin Zeitler, Cam Fleming, and Spencer Pony from the offensive line. Defensive line, they lost uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Austin Jackson, and uh, Jabal Sheard. And then from their kind of linebacker defensive backcourt, they got uh, Kyle Fracker, Antoine Bethes, Nate Alder, and Adrian Colbert are all gone from there. This is shit or get off the pot this year for them. This is. Danny Dimes, and we, we had this discussion beforehand, you're a bit more of a Danny Dimes fan than I am, uh, Fitz, but I also just had that thing, like there are elements, there's elements of the game that you look at and you're like, this could actually be really good. They have top end running back, they now have 
good wide receivers. They've got a tasty tight end. They've got a decent offensive line. This is a put up or shut up year. So this is this this is the this is the spot where they have to make a decision because also the thing is. This is a underperforming New York team that has a relatively recent history of like going to playoffs and doing things. Danny Dimes is meant to be the step from Eli Manning to the next generation of this. And he has moments where he looks good, but as you said, he has terrible fumbleitis. He yeah. turns the ball over like no one's fucking business. Even when they give him weapons, he has it. But this is this is the ins and outs of a team that said this is the year that we have to decide whether we need to essentially go back to rebuild. This is this is a team that is actively thinking about doing the thing that the Eagles have accidentally done this year, I think. They are using this year as a proving ground for whether or not Danny Dimes can be the future of the franchise. Am I right? Basically, exactly what they have to do when teams have a young quarterback uh, because they're so central to whether you're going to succeed or not. You need to provide them with at least one opportunity where you put all the talent that you can around them and hope that they take that next step with that talent. Like obviously, if that happens, it kind of to a certain extent means that they they're never that maybe they're not going to be the you know Peyton Manning, Tom Brady mm-hmm. can be good no matter what's happening on the rest of the team type of player. But at least that they can be you know an effective you know a type of player. I don't want to say Kirk Cousins, but you know that kind of at least at least get to that level in terms of surrounding with talent. So obviously they made a very aggressive moves in the offseason. They chose to pick up Kenny Galday in free agency. You know, he's a guy who is more than happy to take those contested catches, kind of like bail out their quarterback, you know, make, you know, they throw it a bit inaccurately. So that's what he can do when healthy. But unfortunately he was obviously hard a lot last year. He was yeah, yeah. kind of had a few knocks. And so they also drafted Kadarius Tony, who's more of a, a slot guy. And it'll be interesting to see how much time he actually gets. Because they have a couple of other guys who are already slot guys, like people like Sterling Shepard, who, who are fine. And then they yeah, get... Evan Ingram and people yeah, like that. Yeah, and then Evan Ingram. Options, like. like Evan Ingram is, is like, you know, he had some really bad drops last year. But you could also still see that he has some of that, you know, game-breaking talent at the tight end position as kind of a, a move tight end. Um, that 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 you, that you still want to see, but just some of those drops are absolutely killer. Like yeah, it was it was pretty uh, bad overall. There, there were moments as well though where I wasn't sure if it was purely them dropping it or also like whether or not Danny was putting it on a dime. Or yeah, that, like exactly. So then then the question is, okay, you've surrounded with talent, and now I think you know for Danny Dimes there are two issues. One is his accuracy. His accuracy has has never been like amazing. But we saw someone like Josh Allen make that leap last year from going from very average accuracy to yeah. someone one of the best accuracies. You know, he had someone work with him in the off season, improve his technique, and that made a huge difference. But the other aspect is the ball security. I think you know he like Danny Dines right now has over one fumble a game. And that's not even including his interceptions, which are not insubstantial either. So you're talking about someone who is very much entering the Jameis Winston zone of... I was going to say, you, you do bring up the Winston comparison yeah. occasionally, yeah. It's just a situation in the modern NFL that you can't really carry a quarterback who keeps digging holes for you. Like, you know, this isn't like 2000 where you can, you know, just have some random fella and give him the Ravens defense and then he can win win the Super Bowl. This is a different era. The quarterback needs to be better. And yes, these guys are young. Yes, of course, you know, like it's, it's a huge amount of pressure on them. But that's the reality of playing in the NFL. And right now, Daniel Dimes, it's very easy to err on the side that it's not really going to work. Now, I think the rest of this team, I think I, I trust that Joe Judge... And Patrick Graham can get the defense going. I think that like they did lose some guys there, uh, which which are is a bit problematic. But yeah, I think in terms of this team actually competing, it's all about that Danny Dimes experience. Because I think like this is a this is a team that's defense 
showed a moments actually and a very ascending defense and that they were doing pretty well. Is this a spot where you reckon that they can start to that that can be the impact makers? Like we said, this is this is this is a team that doesn't move massively from from last year this year. We're assuming like I think the best of our projections is a team wins nine games to maybe ten games. It's not a huge step to say that if a division is this bad that if you were to have a defence take one more step above from where it was last year that that could literally be the difference maker you have an Eagles team that have question marks at quarterback you have a Cowboys team that are relying on a recently injured player coming back and making all the difference and you have a Washington football team that literally like there's there's a random number generated that we'll talk about called Fitzmagic in a second but it's either that or it's like weird rookies or reclamation projects a strong defence in this division could be the difference even if even if Danny Dimes doesn't step up massively could actually be the difference do you think this team can continue to ascend on that side of the ball well, so this is the question right so the Giants did have in their brief moment it was I think around like week 12 week 13 of last season when that brief moment when they were the they were the one who were making the surge they were the NFC East team that looked at them yeah, yeah. and it was all based upon this defense that was actually getting things done that was had stepped up its aggressiveness, was almost single-handedly winning games or doing enough so that Danny Dimes didn't have to kind of win the game uh, on his own. Colt McCoy won the game. (laughs) (laughs) The question with the Giants' defense is essentially consistency. We've seen that they can dominate the other teams in this division when they are at their peak, but we haven't seen them do it week in, week out. And the thing is... Given the in uncertainty about the offense, we, do, we don't know how well Danny Dimes is going to do. We don't know how well players like Galladay are going to integrate or how healthy they will be. The defense are where the strengths are, and that's where things are going to, going to matter. Now, that they have a, a lot of interesting strengths. I mean, the secondary, I think, is really quite strong. I mean, Logan Ryan, obviously. You've also got the addition of a Dory Jackson. So, so there, there, are, there are parts of this team that look very exciting, and, and Patrick Graham is... As I understand, quite well regarded as 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 a DC, yeah. um. So so there there are definite positives there, but the question is not can they do this for three or four weeks in a row. The question is, are they going to be able to do this for eight, seventeen games? And what happens when things start to, to go wrong or they they begin to encounter difficulties? So I don't think the bar is is, is incredibly high. Essentially, the unit which dominates this division wins it. Last year, the, the yeah. unit that ended up dominating that division was the Washington defense. And they were able to just, by doing that, to, to get them over the line and into that playoff spot. The Giant defense can be that unit because they have shown us that they can do so. But I we, I need to see it happen more than just happening in the flashes that we saw last season. Yeah. And it seems like there, there is that potential for it. And like I said, there's also that potential of this is a proving round for essentially whether or not they extend or live or die with Danny Dimes. And like, there are... As always, this is the thing with this division. Almost every team is like, if things break right, they could be very good. But there's so many variables that cause problems. I've, I've actually, because of that, ended up with a very middle-of-the-road projection for them. Of I think they're going to get the defense is going to do some pretty decent things. I think they'll get something out of Danny Dimes. I think not what they want to see. Not something that they can immediately make a decision on. So I've got them winning eight games, losing nine games. I think coming up 10th overall the NFC I think I am the most positive on what this experiment is going to be though Fitz yeah I, I'm doing 6 and 11 like I think Joe Judge is a very interesting head coach he kind of did a, I think a fairly good job like, I think there is basically a perspective that Donnie Dime is the problem here and if you can get a decent quarterback maybe Joe Drew can show off a 
a bit like what's happening in Miami. But I just, yeah, the Danny Dimes experience, it just, yeah, it feels all James to me. And I don't know if he's able to make that next step. So I know you're, you're, you're off the horse. Yeah, I'm off the horse. I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll text Danny. I'll tell him. He'll be very <laughs> soon. Uh, Sean, you're, you're also not expecting it to work out. So I have them on 4 and 13, which would put them bottom of the division below the Eagles. In retrospect, that might be a little bit harsh. I, could, I can certainly see them being a better team than the Eagles, particularly if the whole Eagles experiment doesn't click very well. But I just, I just don't buy Danny Dimes. I just don't see yeah. him being the answer. And I think without that, the Giants just don't... You need a quarterback, right? As Fitz, as Fitz said, you need a quarterback to actually win things. And the defense just doesn't show enough consistency to overcome the fact that the offense is probably not going to be great. Yeah, like what like what I have in my head with this kind of eight-win kind of approach is I basically think like the old school Vikings teams where they had nothing at quarterback, but then they had Peterson at running back and the defense was pretty decent and they yeah. was just Actually, able to that is, that is an important point like Saquon obviously if he plays is a huge X factor, but there is a just to say like as we're recording this He's still being a bit coy about his timeline in terms of the season. If he doesn't play, that's obviously yeah, that, like, that's, that's probably you, weighing down some of our, our expectations as well to a certain extent. Like, 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 yeah, I will, yeah, I will say I made the assumption that he would be playing on this because I just presumed that would happen. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you know yourself. Like that is that is the thing. Like so, Harry has going five and twelve, and literally that's the thing. Like if if Saquon's not playing, I am dropping that all the way back down to like that three or four win kind of bracket for them. And uh, finally, we have the one item in news today: the. Washington football team the terrible piece of shit yeah where the the head coach and the quarterback and the other choices they made are feel like they're all specifically made to make you forget who owns the team <laughs> but it's magic this, this, this is the key right he's this, Amish he's got loads of kids but he's also cool and down with the kids this is the problem gentlemen we have a division like I said the fight for 500 last year eight wins would get you there the Washington football team for all of their flaws looked at this and said do you know what is like flipping a coin 17 times <laughs> that is bringing in Fitzmagic and allowing him to be the boom-bust cycle of this entire team. This is a team that was known last year for its very strong defense, its rookies playing incredibly well for it, for the return of Alex Smith and him playing through injuries. And not, let's be honest, love the bits, thought it was very valiant, very nice. It was not playing particularly well, but was able to do it Good performances from the running backs and stuff they got there was allowed, basically just allowed them to push their way to I think it was seven wins won this division last year. But now they went Fitz Magic. Let's bring him in. He is our answer. On the offensive side, they bring in Curtis Samuel, Charles Leno, Sam Cosme, Duami Brown, and Eric Flowers on the offensive line. And on the defense side, they bring in William Jackson, Jimin Davis, Bobby McLean, and Daryl Roberts on the. Offensive, look, they lose Alex Smith. To be fair, lovely to him play well, but he wasn't actually playing that well. It was right retirement. Apparently, there's also this big thing that he's now in the running to be a commentator on uh, one of the TV shows. There's well, three of them. I think the given, given how people have talked about him, uh, even while he was playing, but especially since he retired, uh, it would be hard not to see him get a media opportunities, coaching opportunities, whatever. It was very interesting because uh, Andy Reid is a standing thing. Andy Reid asked him five or six years ago, said, 
as soon as you're finished playing, if you want to coach, please come to me and I will make you our QBs coach. But anyway, this is, this is about the future of the team. Not it is, yes. Uh, other rights are on the defense side is uh, Ronald Darby, Thomas Davis, Ryan Kerrigan, Ryan Anderson, and Fabian Moreau. And on the offensive side, uh, Morgan Moses, uh, Joe Christensen, Jeremy Sprinkle, and Bryce Love. For a team that I think constantly just think is terrible they actually have some very good players in some very good positions they have a very talented pass rush they have an excellent wide receiver they have a fairly good running back I would say almost upper end of the young guys running back without Fitzmagic who let's be honest I, I, I love Fitzmagic I think I think it's great fun but he is boom bust like it's very rare that he ties two good seasons back to back and that was why he keeps journeymanning between places that this is like so the pressure behind him is what Tyler Heineke and Allen Kyle Allen yeah let's be honest Tyler performed best against the Tampa Bay defense in the playoffs <laughs> Heineke <laughs> question mark question mark anyway like we'll, we'll finish the uh, question we'll yeah <laughs> this, this, this is a spot where I got I got to look at this as being this is Fitzmagic's team until week 10 at mm. least they brought him in because they know that he gives them that little spark. Because this is this is a team that was able to... And like I said, again, love Alex Smith to bits. He wasn't playing well. This is a team that was able to bring, essentially, the husk of Alex Smith through six games at the tail end of the season to get to nearly 500 and to get to the playoff. This is a talented team. They have some turnover, particularly on the defensive side that was their strength. There's a lot of names, a couple of very... Well-known names again. This is yeah, Ryan Carey, but maybe not the most performing name because yeah. their, their their strength is their youth in it. This is a this is an interesting team because when I look at it, they have interesting players and positions that I like. I quite like their head coach. I fucking love the quarterback they brought in and how much fun that could be. And this is a division that nine wins will win a division. Yeah. I sneaky like this Washington team this year do you think this is a kind of paper tiger situation of like you know there's their skills there like Gibson was good but he probably overperformed what his actual class is in a couple of bits but like like you've, you've got you've got your wide receivers there who are fucking great but like you've got like what's scary Terry like it, it, he has the speed to actually get under all those kind of deep balls that Fitzmagic will want to throw to him but it's also Fitzmagic is a massive boom bust kind of option in a lot of games this this team could win 12 games but I could also equally see the same skill players in the same position be like it makes perfect sense that's why they won four games like <laughs> when I look at this roster this is in my mind to my mind the most talented roster in the NFC East and I don't even think it's particularly close like I think when I, you, I kind of like the Giants roster but I don't like uh, the way that they use it like I think the offense like Antonio Gibson was incredibly effective as a rookie after converting from a, I mean a wide receiver kind of hybrid type player it's a bold receiver yeah um, and like they, they've added some additional kind of help for him but uh, I think he'll still be the number one and like Terry McLaurin like I think Terry McLaurin has the potential to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL I think given the type of situations he's been put in 
it reminds me of what the Andrew Hopkins had to do in terms of like having to overcome a lot of inconsistent quarterback play and yet still consistently looking like a top level wide receiver. He looks like a faster, taller Antonio Brown, not, peak Antonio Brown in not, terms of not, his ability, his route running and his physical skills. I think genuinely make him a genuine superstar as long as his team doesn't get in his own way. Hundred percent agree. But you've also just sent me into a terrifying fantasy land where Fitzmagic is throwing balls to like new copies. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> And I think Curtis Samuel was a very interesting pickup. I think, obviously, he has experience under Ron Rivera from back when he was drafted in, in Carolina. There's an awful lot of Panthers in terms of I think he can fulfill a kind of gadget role, which I think is important for a team like this, which I think will probably try and run the ball, establish the run, kind of you know keep things going there, and not have to rely on Fitzmagic throwing like 50 balls a game if they can get away with it. Yeah. And that should hopefully reduce the, uh, the gambling uh, addiction that is having Fitzmagic as your... Quarterback. And I think, you know, I obviously referred to it earlier, but there is a non-zero chance that Tyler Heineke is not just a one-game flash in the pan who looked, like, as I said, he is the one who performed bents against, against, against that Tampa Bay defense, which obviously destroyed some of the best offenses in the league. Maybe yeah. it's just those situations where he comes in, they don't have any tape, and, you know, that just makes it more difficult for defense and you can't prepare for him. But maybe there's something there. Kyle Allen, uh, I dismiss him. Um, but, <laughs> but, Correctly. But, like, I, like, I, like, I think what you said, I'd like Fitzmagic getting replaced in Week 11, that is the classic Fitzmagic. He does well enough to get a starting place at the start of the season, and then he underperforms and is replaced by someone. And it's usually not even someone that good. So when I look at this offense, and the offensive line is pretty good, I was kind of surprised that they cut Morgan Moses and they're going to rely on Sam Cosby. That was a surprise, yeah. But obviously they decided that they kind of wanted to get younger there. And, you know, uh, I think I'll let Sean talk about the defense, but the defense also, every single level of this defense looks really promising, really powerful. And, of course, that starts up front with that defensive line. Yeah, because that's the thing like the engine as we said the engine of this team last year is that defense and the youth and the let's be right the aggression the mm. the way that they are they are almost like a like a like a late 80s early 90s style of like this pomp and ceremony and swagger to it but there's just an awful lot of just I want to physically impose that I am the better specimen on you kind of thing like you've got your you've got your Montez Sweats you've got your fucking like Chase Young's and you get these. Can I can I also just point out, except for John Allen, that they all have names that sound like you know like nineties kids superheroes. <laughs> Montez Sweat, yeah. Chase Young, the Ron <laughs> And then like on the on the back end, they've also gotten better. Like even like just stupidly like they've they've finally gotten out from under the contracts of some like if they the name purchases that they made at cornerback back in the day. You got Will Jackson third in there. I think he's pretty good. Kendall Fuller is a good player. There's an awful lot of quality on that defense. That like you like we were discussing when we were talking about the um the Giants team, this is a division that can just be one side of the ball for one team can be enough. And boom or bust, there's enough of a spark on the offense that Fitz talked about that could be the other side. Like, this is a lockdown defense. This is a proper fucking punch-you-in-the-mouth defense. Can this be the route that they have to just getting to the nine wins needed? I mean, certainly, and I, and, I, and I believe in that, that there is, there is an interesting kind of situation where it could very well be an absolute nightmare to play this team right because on the you have to face an offense that can do literally anything and will in the course of a game do do a hundred different things and explosiveness and then the other side of the ball you have to deal with this 
defensive line that is out to murder you and, and get the numbers that, that to demonstrate that that in Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat they have they have really exciting players who last year made an incredible impact and they were as I said they when they stepped up in the second half of last season they were the ones that, that pushed this team over the line and got them into that playoff spot because Alex Smith I mean I love him but he was he was not producing yeah. um, anything it was the defense that that won them that division and they can certainly do that again. And there's certainly nothing. I mean, someone like Chase Young, for example, is a superstar, and he's going to be. Yeah. He's going to be the player that they can build that defense around. Everyone would like to talk about a Bosa, and I can't possibly guess why people would like to talk about a Bosa instead of a Chase Young. I can't imagine (laughs) what that could be. But yes, he 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 is a fucking superstar. You're right, like, and he has the confidence of I am going to be a superstar, which is Mm. almost as much as important as the talent is to be willing to be that. The guy who, who make, takes mm. those risks and do those things. So I certainly think there's a huge amount of talent. I, I also do like the secondary. I actually have a lot of time for Kendall Fuller. I, I think he's, he's he's quite good. So I mean, there's definitely there's definitely talent there, and I mean, I think they're pretty well coached uh, on on both sides of the ball. So certainly yes, but I mean, the problem is the talent is there, but we actually haven't. And it, it's weird to talk about this as a team that won a division and and, and scared the eventual Super Bowl champions in the playoffs. Even given that talent, they probably should have won more than seven games last year. Oh yeah, they find a way. They find a way to not make the most of what they have. They find a way to to lose tight games. That they they find a way to 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 fall out of games sometimes when they're when they're not close in the early stages. I don't know if this team has a fight in them uh, when things are tough that is going to be enough to push them over the line. You do wonder that if this team is going to be great fun to watch when things are going well, but things may may fall apart very quickly. It's, 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 uh, it's an and, interesting and point, actually, because I do, I do, I get that an awful lot of, like, you get that feel of, like, they are a little bit kind of, can, can go up or down. I This is why I like the Fitzmagic signing so much, because, like, he is, this is probably his last year of pitching in a contract to be a starter. He might get a year or two of being a backup, but this is, he's probably already a year past where he should be competing for this, but he is just, he's had a couple of years that were decent in a row that's put him in this spot. I get, I get that feeling of like, this is a team that has just enough that if they can keep the energy up, they could get over that line. And my worry would have previously been like, like, like with the Alex Smith thing, and I doesn't say anything bad about him, but like that I think that Alex Smith was, he wanted to get back playing to show that he could get back, back playing. But it wasn't that he had a burning desire in his heart to win a Super Bowl. It was, for him, the mental jump he made was to actually physically go out in a pitch and play again. Whereas with Magic, there is that element of like, this is my last year probably as a starter. Well, Maybe this is the push that I can make. Like, this is the one that we can go to the divisions on. And fuck knows, if this if this defense plays up, this could be the... The shot of me going well, to a championship game that I've never been to. I think I think like both of you bring up an important point. I think in the Fitzmagic thing, it's important to know he's never been to the playoffs. Like like when mm. they when they collapsed late on, uh, when they kind of were going back and forth with two in Miami, that was something I think we were talking about. And like we'd love to see him light it up in the playoffs. And this is certainly a team, as we say, has the time to do so. But I think Sean makes a very good point, which is that there's a lingering sense that this sense, this team is a fuck-up team. Yeah. Like, obviously, the owner is a complete fuck-up and a cunt and should basically burn in hell. Obviously, we've kind of talked about just during, like, during the last couple of seasons when they've made these kind of GM and uh, coaching changes. They're obviously relying on Ron Rivera to kind of basically run the team. So it's more like a Bill Belichick type situation where he's expected to run the team. The owner kind of takes their hands off. 
not because he wants to, but because he's so dirtied his hands in mm-hmm. so many various ways that he has ran out of road in terms of having that kind of level of control over the team. So I think that's definitely a huge concern. And that, that's why I, I, I wouldn't blame anyone for believing this is the, like, this is a team that whose own, like, stadium has a high tendency of killing its own players. Like, don't forget that yeah. the last great successful Washington football team killed its great hope of, of their quarterback yeah. by having some of the worst turf in the league. So, even though, but me and Sean and you are like, there's so much going on here. There's so much going. On. I think you know, when we look at our predictions, there's also that thing. Like, I will. I, if I, they I have, don't if, think they can carry. It if they have just, a good season, yeah. then we will believe. But until then, we'll probably have a little yeah. bit of that skepticism. I like. I have. I have them in the grit, in the most awkward spots. I have them winning nine games, losing eight games, and on a tiebreaker, missing off being the last I, wild card. I find it hard to believe there could be two winning teams in this division. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is it. That's true. Uh, I think Washington football team, if I remember correctly, like they got they got they got a tough thing, but I've also got like I think that they and someone else would chop up most of what they play in division. Like the things like like the current the current division for me is like one wins nine games, one wins nine games and wins on a tiebreaker, and the nine wins means the one who loses in the tiebreaker and the same thing doesn't make the playoffs. You have I've been on nine eight winning the division. I get them in a divisional round, which should be a fun ride. But this is a team where. If things fall right, I can see more upside than that. But uh, as I say, it's the thing. If it breaks right, it could actually go like Indian like, Indian burial grounds and all that kind of stuff. I'm not yeah. quite willing to, to go all in just yet. Tony boy, so I have them seven and ten, which in retrospect is probably a bit harsh because it would put them about three games behind the Cowboys in the divisional race, which is probably not where they are. That they're probably within a game or two. I think they will push the Cowboys to the end, but I I just think that maybe Cow- the Cow- Cowboys have enough. Uh, talent wise to win the division and the problem with this division is if you don't win the division you are not making the playoffs because 100%. nobody is good enough to, to get a wildcard yeah. and Harry has 8 wins but 8 wins is enough basically, basically last year 8 wins <laughs> is enough to make the, the to, to, to win the division and then going out in the divisional round but no way that it's, it's good it, 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 it's very much a if everything bro- like we talked an awful lot of if everything breaks right how good teams would be this is even if things break right could actually be really good but also, it's it's not even just flipping a coin. It's flipping a coin five times and hoping you call it right <laughs> each of the fucking five times. Like it, it, It's tough to capture that little bit of magic. But if anyone can, it's Fitzmagic. But yes, yeah, so that'll wrap up for the NFC East. It was... Yeah, it's, it's a fucking ride of a division. Did you, get, did you get enough attention, NFC East? Was this <laughs> enough time for you? I, I don't know. No, no, we got don't, a don't prime time it. special. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Like every week they're going to be on prime we, time. We, we won't put this out just as a standard podcast. We'll also put this out every Monday as a prime time <laughs> podcast just for you. Because, you know, the, the division where we think that the winner is going to win nine games is the it, division it, that we need to watch so in prime time. It's so sad to listen to the commentators have to hype games. Like the, the Sunday night commentators when they're when they're... In they're watching say a Bucks Saints game and they're going well next week we have the Eagles and the Giants aren't you excited Chris Collins it's like yes yes I am I'm so excited about the Smash Mouth football the, the, this happens. is literally what makes me earn my money I love the rest of my job this is what makes me earn my money but yes I suppose that'll wrap us up for now so it's a bye for myself bye from Fitz bye bye from John bye it's been awful for listening to this